This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free of the chains holding me. Is anybody out there hearing me? Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad you could join us on a beautiful November day. At least I hope it is where you are. We uh, we welcome again our, our new sponsors, or not, that's not a good word, the station who's now airing the show in Las Vegas, KKVV, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we will also be making an announcement very soon uh, about a station in the United Kingdom uh, that will be airing the show Sunday nights and Monday nights, and this was a result of the trip we took last month, and uh, we're looking at a return trip in March to do more conferences and retreats or speaking in churches or whatever God, whatever door open God gives us, uh, we'll take. And and today, as you've heard me talk about, there is a porn epidemic among Christians in the church with surveys showing that Two-thirds of Christian men are viewing pornography and 30% of Christian women. And that, that's in the U.S. And the numbers are even higher in other countries. So for the United Kingdom, for example, the numbers are showing that 70 to 75% of Christian men are viewing porn. And, and then similar numbers for the women. And one survey just recently came out. For the United Kingdom, that 34% of all English, all the English now approve of pornography. So one third of the country think, hey, there's just nothing wrong with porn. It's, you know, fine and dandy with me. And on that note, I'll just speak about what is what is the product of pornography. And some people look at it. And, or they think about porn as people just having the great time of their life, having the best sex ever on screen. And, and I've talked to ex-porn actresses. I've talked to ex-porn actors. And the the truth is 80 miles away from that. So ex-porn actresses have told me that they hate the men they're doing those things with. A lot of them are drunk or stoned or um out of their minds some way before they do that. It's not uncommon to hear women throwing up before they have to go on to do a scene. There are a lot of scenes that are coerced where a woman is asked to do something that she originally t- was told she would not have to do. So it's a satanic product that is destroying the lives, that destroys the lives of those who make it. 
And then we also see that a lot of porn actors and actresses die early, some from suicide, some from drug overdose, from alcohol addiction, from murder even in extreme cases. But the life expectancy of those who are in that stuff is is shorter than the average person. And so if you're watching that stuff, the people who are doing that do not like each other. They do not love each other. And a lot of the women hate what they're doing and they hate the men who are doing it with. So it's a complete lie that's destroying the life of the people who are making it. And then so when the church, when a Christian is watching this stuff, they're basically funding Satan's work to destroy the lives of those who make it and destroy the lives of Christians and God's people. So I just want to set the record straight that pornography isn't just this happy, wonderful um, fantasy land um, thing where they're just, you know, we should be showing this at school and to teach people how to have sex. And unfortunately, we're seeing more and more articles where schools are doing exactly that. Especially in the U.S. and the U.K., there's been a number of articles I've seen where schools, even at the early ages in the grade school level, are trying to slip pornography in to show them what quote-unquote normal porn is. I even heard of a – I mean this was in Brazil, but one couple wanted to make a Christian porn movie, which – you know, how you put those together, (laughs) you can't if – if if you're really a believer in Jesus Christ, because you know it's sin. For one thing, it's um, the people who are doing that. It's it's causing a lot of people to stumble, and it's adultery, and it's causing adultery, and it's destroying lives. And so it's a big lie right at the outset. So we, as you've heard me say before, we have to open this up on Sunday morning at churches with people who are struggling with these things and give them hope, give them a way out. And so if you are struggling, if that's you, um, that's, that's what we do. We, have, we do counseling on the phone and in person in our offices in Chandler, Arizona, and also uh, one of our counselors, Tim Peterson, he's located in Arkansas. Sandy England, who manages or facilitates the Wives Ministry, she is in Oklahoma. And uh, God has given us a great team, and there are others who we have volunteers who are leading prayer groups. We have an eight-week course for men, and uh, there's a lot of resources and videos up on the website on blazinggrace.org. I've written eight books, and so you want to—the books give a lot of answers and hope and um for all those who are struggling with this at every age. And I should also say that lately we've been getting more and more inquiries from teenagers who are hooked on porn. So how do guys, how do girls, when do they get hooked? Well, usually it begins at, I would say on average from what we see at at age eight. So mom and dad, if your kid is an eight-year-old and you haven't had the sex talk with them, it is too late. Because your sweet little Jimmy is going to school with other kids who have had smartphones since they were six. And those kids are smart enough to know how to get around 
blocks and other things and to get into the wrong places and to share the wrong sites and so um a lot we see we see parents who are just na- totally naive about what their kids are looking at and what they're doing and they just throw a self smartphone at them and yeah sure you can have one dumb move mom and dad cuz your kid your 8 9 10 year old your 6 year old especially is not emotionally mature enough to have a smartphone with wide open access to the internet that is just that just like you're not even clued into what's going on with your kids if you're doing that so you don't you you don't want to be a part of the problem you want to walk your kids through the sexual minefield that we find ourselves in these days and and so wives i talked about offering counseling in groups to those who are struggling with wives we have the same for you we have wives groups uh support groups i've written books for the wives i've also written a workbook for the workbook for the couple cuz what we do is for the marriage cuz unfortunately usually what happens is that a guy will get hooked on porn as a kid and then he hides it and then gets married and doesn't tell his wife most of the time 10 20 30 40 years later they uh get caught they try and hide it for a long as long as they can in the marriage but eventually god's going to expose that sin and and often what happens is the lord just starts prompting the wife that um what my husband is doing is not right and then she starts watching him and and then sooner or later you know women have that sixth sense so they could just look at their husband and i know this from experience and know when something's messed up or when something's off i mean i've heard stories of wives who've said they can just read their husband like a book and when the when her husband is um back into porn maybe he was off for 6 months or a year she can just look at him and know even when he's lying that he's back into it so you're not going to hide this eventually sooner or later the truth's going to come out and you're a lot better off if the truth comes out today if that's something you're doing than waiting until it hits the fan and then the, the the thing blows up and sprays all over your marriage and your family and and a lot of wives say that their husband's lying hurts them far more than what he did. So trust is the cornerstone of every relationship. If there is no trust, there is no relationship. And so when a man has been lying and hiding for years, if not decades, then and a wife discovers that and then figure, realizes that a lot of what she thought was real was about a lie. And it's the foundation of their the relationship just gets broken. And basically, there's, we're talking about a total rebuild and an overhaul. So if this is you and today you're in bondage to this stuff, let today be the last day that you do nothing and – you're not going to get out of this without help. I know because I tried when I was in bondage to that stuff. I mean, I tried by willpower because telling somebody that I was messing with porn and masturbation, boy, that's the very last thing I wanted to do, especially in the church. I mean, I almost felt safer telling unbelievers, which I, I, I didn't, um, than I would have told if I told a believer because, you know, when you go into a church – 
you risk until this, you risk getting judged or condemned or told something stupid, which I had that happen. And a lot of Christians, they go to the wrong person and, and it happens. And so we are a safe place. Each of us on our team has been through this. Um, by God's grace, he's walked us through into victory. Uh, that doesn't mean it's that we're just flying with no temptation. Nothing be further the truth. I have the same weak, messed up flesh that everybody does. And I have to keep my guard up every single day. And that's a mistake a lot of guys make is they get maybe two months and they think, ah, hey, I got this thing licked. And then they take their foot off the gas and stop going to a group or getting help or whatever it is and you know, figure, oh, I can do this. And then boom, down they go. Or they, maybe they get a year. Same thing. You cannot take your foot off the gas ever. You have to meet with another believer once a week, every week. That, that's the way the Christian life is meant to be lived. There are no isolated believers in God's economy. So I want to talk about seven questions right now. When we were in England last month, we had a rogue Christian Booth. And some of you know I wrote a book called The Rogue Christian, The Status Quo Has Failed, It's Time to Go Rogue. And what that is about is uh, status quo Christianity, which is what the church has become today, a rock service um, with a very comforting message that is not equipping believers. And so I guess I have to expand on that before I go much further. <laughs> the, the reason I even wrote The Real Christian was after years of counseling believers, and I kept seeing the same theme over and over again. They didn't know how to connect with God. They did not have a prayer life. A lot of them had no idea about the spiritual battles, about spiritual warfare. Some even doubted it exists. So, and that's just a a few things we saw. So when I kept seeing these themes over and over again, and and then you add on that the many people they were saying, "Hey, we're not being equipped for dealing with things like pornography or lust, or or even things like pride or anger." We, you know, we hear the Bible verses and we get the teachings, but we're not being equipped on being overcomers in these things. So that's what led me to write that book, The Real Christian. And there's a lot in there about how we must go back to being a church that equips people to being overcomers. We have to be a church that challenges people to be prayer warriors. We have to be a church that opens up the hard topics. And so we had a rogue Christian booth at the UK show. On the back panels, I had seven questions in big, bold writing. And we noticed that people were actually coming and stopping and reading through them all. And and then they grab a they grab a book. We were giving the the books away for free, the real Christian, because I didn't want money to be any kind of hindrance, and I just wanted to plant as many seeds as possible. And so, what I'm going to do is go through those seven questions with you today. And the first one is: the church is supposed to be a house of prayer, yet why don't we pray on Sunday? And Jesus talked about that when he affirmed, I think it was Isaiah 56, where. God said, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus affirmed that verse. And you see all through the book of Acts where they're praying all the time. And how did the, how did the early church even begin? Do you remember? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, after Jesus went back to heaven, 
they, they began with seven days straight of prayer meetings. No teaching, no worship band, no nothing. Some scholars think they had nine days straight of prayer meetings. That was what the church was founded on as far as their church services go. Of course, we know the church was founded on the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ, Son of God, crucified for man's sins. He's the cornerstone. He's the rock. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how did the church, what did they do in the beginning? How did they get their power? They got their power from prayer meetings, not from sermons. And then after seven days of prayer meetings, they are anointed with power. Peter teaches this, gives this sermon you can read in five minutes. And then if you read it, (laughs) Peter doesn't say one word about the love of God. He doesn't say one word about grace. If you read it, he says in there twice, you crucified Jesus. Now repent and turn from your sin. How would you like that for an evangelical message in one of our modern churches today? You crucified Jesus. Now repent of your sins. That's, that's the essence of what his message was, and it was very short. And the result of that was 3,000 people came to Christ. Isn't that just amazing? The reason, the difference is that we can't do that in our modern churches today is because we have no spiritual power or very little. And the reason for that is because we are not the houses of prayer we're supposed to be. Acts 2.42, devoted to prayer. Fellowship, God's word, not in that order I know, but prayer is supposed to be a very important part of that. So the question is, why don't we pray on Sunday? And one of our board members in a board meeting a couple years ago said, well, most Christians just aren't comfortable praying out loud with other people. And I prayed with, I've done prayer meetings outside the U.S., and I can tell you that there are plenty of believers that'll jump right into prayer. So this tells you that we've made church way too much about coddling the comfort zone. We should be challenging people out of their comfort zone because that's not where the growth happens. But even more so, we have to go back to becoming a house of prayer. Second question, why is it that most Christians are isolated? If you look in the New Testament, Jesus sent the apostles out always in groups of two. Paul, The apostle Paul and his journeys that I know of, he did not go out alone. He, he went out with at least one other guy and, and sometimes you know, a larger group. There are not meant to be any isolated believers in God's economy. I Sometimes when I speak at churches, I'll ask the audience to raise their hands if they meet with another brother or sister in Christ once a week. And usually only maybe 85%, I think that's wrong, only 15% of the hands go up. 85%, around 80, 85% of God's people are isolated. So why is that when the early church was supposed to be devoted, they were devoted to fellowship, they did meet for prayer meetings often, they did have a lot of community with each other, why is it we're not a, why are so many believers isolated? I mean, I could go on for a whole show on that one. I mean, look at the problem with porn addiction in the church. The minute some guy starts acting out pornography as a young man, he is already teaching himself to isolate. Because when you act out with pornography, you're doing that alone, in the dark, and you're not telling anyone else. So you're literally training yourself 
to isolate when you do that. So that habit gets ingrained in your character even as a young boy. And then as you grow to a young man and then um, what happens after years and years of binging on that stuff, you actually become emotionally retarded where you become you can become terrified of intimacy. You don't know how to deal with your heart. You don't know how to deal with emotions. And then you go to church and what does everybody do? Well, everybody, we all sit down and we go through the, the worship songs. We listen to the service and we go home. So we've, we're grooming people on being isolated on our weekend services. I would attend a church and sometimes, you know how they do that thing where they say, everybody um, greet the person around you. And then everybody puts on that sweet, fake smile and says, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? And then everybody sits down. And so what we've just done, and we just faked it on, a, on Sunday morning because there's a lot of people who are not fine walking in. And so if you want to break that up, then you have to become a church devoted to fellowship, which means breaking people up into small groups of two, like I do when I go on treat, retreats or conferences, and having people share with each other and pray for each other. And I've done this, and it's funny, I'll do this on a Sunday morning at a church, and <laughs> you should see the looks of shock and horror when I first do that, because people aren't used to that. And and then they break up into the groups of two, and I watch them as they're sharing, and the next thing I know, they're laughing some are crying, and then I love watching them pray. That, that, that's the sweet spot of those services that I, I'm blessed to be in when I'm, I get to watch believers open up and share and pray for each other. That is so powerful, and we miss that. Third question, why is it that the church is corrupt with sexual sin? Why is it that with all the surveys showing that two-thirds of Christians are viewing pornography that the church is so corrupt with sexual sin. Well, the easy answer, the quick one, is because we don't talk about sex. Read the Song of Solomon. He starts describing his wife's breasts and and other parts, her navel, and and he, he does this multiple times. And you know, sex is throughout the Bible, and sometimes in not the most pretty tones. Where you, you talk about rape and even incest, uh, that stuff isn't fun, but it's in there nonetheless. So. Since God's word goes at it industrial strength, and we should too. We should not be afraid of talking about issues like porn and masturbation and sex up front and openly on Sunday morning, but then not just talking about, okay, here's the problem, but giving people solutions. What does walking out of this look like? How does the recovery process work? And not, And then we don't leave wives out of it because... Way too often people focus on the man, but they don't focus on the wife. She gets left out, but she's left with this pain and this trauma. Some wives struggle with PTSD and all that goes along with that, the fear and the spiritual warfare. So we, we don't leave the wives out when we're looking at this porn epidemic in the church. <clears throat> Next question that we had, why is it that many are falling away from the church today especially our youth. And this one just breaks my heart because you got to know that sometimes when people fall away, they're just not going to come back. There will be somebody, there will be some who come back, but um, 
this should put a sense of urgency in all of us to know that we're losing our youth, and this should be a put a sense of urgency of the youth pastors. This should put a sense of urgency in our churches that we get on our knees and cry out to God during the week, during our church services. God, please have your way. Please change us. Please revive us. Please give us a new heart. And then two more. Many know the Bible, but they don't know God. Why is this? Why is it a lot of people, a lot of believers have the knowledge, but they don't have a vibrant, passionate love relationship with the Lord? And with the time I have left, I'll just share that one big reason is they have no prayer light because prayer is where the passion and the fire and the love comes from. And then the last one, a sense of urgency. Why is it a sense of urgency is often missing from the pulpit? And really it's the same. A lot of it is the same answer is that um, a lack of prayer life, but also a lot of pastors just burn out and tired and worn out and need to stop and rest and go to retreat and go to spend time with God and God alone in the desert like Jesus did and like I sometimes do. So these are the questions that we had posted up on the Real Christian booth and it sparked a lot of interesting conversations. And So thank you for joining us. I'm out of time and look forward to seeing you again next week. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.